Hello and welcome to Father Figures, a show about fatherhood, uncommon fathers, fathers of different stripes. I'm your host, Stephen Amaya, and I'm joined by Andrew Morgan, and together we'll explore the intricacies of being a dad in today's world. What are the risks and rewards for fathers and families when they color outside the lines, break social norms, or exist on the margins? We're looking for some actual anecdotal evidence of what's going on with dads out there, so we go right to the sources themselves. As I said, I'm here with Andrew Morgan, and he's today's source. And that's because he's just made an adjustment in his status as a father of a three-year-old. He's decided to take a big break from his career as a high school teacher to stay home to care for the daughter he shares with his working wife, Erica. Thanks for being here, Andrew. It's a, a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. So you've changed things recently. You've decided to become a stay-at-home dad. Was that hard? It was incredibly challenging to make that decision. Um, it was something that my wife and I didn't take lightly, and you know we were kind of going back and forth on it literally for <laughs> two months or, or more, it felt like. so. How long did it take you to, uh, to settle in? Well, I, I'm in kind of a strange position in that I left my job at the end of the school year, and when summer started, in a lot of ways, it felt like the start of a normal summer. Uh -huh. So usually I'm able to kind of settle in pretty quickly. You know, yeah. that first week after the school year ends, I'm, I'm very much loving summer vacation. But I've caught myself a couple times already since school has finished thinking, oh, no, this isn't a normal summer. This is different. So, so yeah, I, I'm kind of settled in, but I'm still kind of startled by, oh, wait, no, in a month. I'm not going back into the high school. It feels weird. So, so yeah, it's a mix of things. And make it a little more real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did an interview with you uh, at your house in Astoria recently. So uh, why don't we just take a, a listen to that and we'll chat on the other side, all right? Sounds great. All right. So I started out by asking you what you call yourself, hmm. how you self-identify to others. I guess, I guess I haven't had a ton of chances in the last couple of weeks to even introduce myself to people who don't know me, where I've even had that situation come up. That's a great question. I just, I don't know how I'm going to navigate that. I mean, I, I think part of the reason uh, that that feels maybe like a little more complicated for me is not because I don't want to say, hey, I'm a stay-at-home dad, um, but more because I do hope to try to work part-time um, starting this fall. And I'm thinking I'm going to hopefully find a position that's in kind of like the 20 hour, you know, halftime. I'm trying more and more. I know we've chatted before about this. Like I'm trying more and more to to not kind of reduce who I am to just simply. All right. Here's what I do for work. Um, mm -hmm. So so maybe I should introduce myself just as a human, as a <laughs> as a as a dad. <laughs> I don't know. I've had a couple interactions with people where, you know, it, it's they've kind of talked about this chapter of my life in that way, you know, and, um, or tried to describe it that way. And so, so yeah, it's, it's just been interesting. There's been all sorts of different reactions when you say to someone like, okay, I'm stepping away from my job or I'm stepping away from my professional position and I'm going to be doing this other thing for some people that does make sense. And for other people, it doesn't make sense, you know? And so that's been interesting. Roughly equal shares of working fathers, 48%. And mothers, 52%, said they would prefer to be at home raising their children, but they need to work because they need the income. 
I asked Andrew if he were offered a job at exactly the same salary as his spouse. Would he take it? Um, oh, my gosh. That's a great question. I, If it was the same exact pay? I mean, I, I, I want to say no to that because we both have realized this last year that when we are both working full-time kind of high-stress jobs, it just comes at a huge cost. And as enticing as that would be, if somebody said, here's the same exact salary, I, I know now what that costs to have both of us work full-time. And I don't know if somebody paid me, my wife's salary, if it would um, cancel out that cost. The cost for us this last year was we we weren't present when we needed to be present for Simone. And there were too many days where, you know, I was coming home at 4.30 or I'd get home at 5 and I'm exhausted and Simone is not exhausted and she wants to, you know, me to read her books and play. And I just simply didn't have the energy to, to do those things or... Uh, the thing that was almost more troubling for me was finding myself doing those things at kind of um, firing on half my cylinders or, I don't know, doing those things really almost like I was in a trance and catching myself in that way and and in that headspace a lot was, um, yeah, it just started wearing on me. It started, I started feeling like, wait, I'm not... I'm not doing this the way that I need to be doing it. So, According to Zillow Research, in general, higher-income households, those households where the primary earner earns more relative to his or her peers, are less apt to have a stay-at-home parent. This is likely the result of selection. Better-educated, higher-earning adults are likely to partner with other well-educated, high-earning adults for whom quitting a job to care for children represents a substantial personal and professional sacrifice. I asked if he suspected being a stay-at-home father was an option only for the privileged. I don't know if it's a uh, stay-at-home dad scenario is uniquely uh, something that is for families that are privileged. I think more so it's just a stay-at-home parent in general. You know, it's like if it were a stay-at-home mom or dad or whoever, um, to have one person not work in this day and age, it feels like harder and harder. I think it's just a fact, you know, that especially, you know, we're, we're doing this recording right now in July of 2022. It's like um, with inflation and everything going on in the world, it feels like, yeah, I imagine fewer and fewer families are going to be able to kind of to do this. And and to be honest, you know, that's part of the reason that we're talking about having me work part time. It feels scary to to go into this saying, oh, I'm not going to work part-time at all. I'm going to just fully stay at home. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that for our family, having me work part-time is a way to to kind of wrestle with with that or, or, or having that extra kind of partial income is definitely going to be helpful for us. But I, I feel like when we made the decision, I remember having conversations about the working part-time thing as not only something that'll kind of like uh, help like stimulate me and keep my brain moving when, when I'm doing the stay at home dad thing, but also it made it less kind of anxiety inducing to talk about our family's future. You know, um, you know, I don't want Erica to feel the type of pressure that is going to be on her shoulders starting now. Uh, I don't want her to feel as if 
the entire uh, the family's whole like fate and everything is resting on on her back. Um, and I'm hoping that if I'm I'm at least working in some capacity, it takes some of that off of her. In a 2013 Pew Research Center survey, 51% of respondents said children are better off if their mother is home and doesn't hold a job. By comparison, only 8% said children are better off if their father is at home and doesn't work. I know some some people that are in similar situations. I know like where they have one person working, one person staying at home. I don't know of any who have who are currently saying, "Okay, the one person who is staying at home or is not working currently, they're planning on doing that indefinitely. I kind of get the sense like people who have kids that are three years old, four years old, two years old, that everybody right now, because of the way childcare is, everybody's feeling like we just got to make it through. We just got to get our kid to kindergarten. We just got to get them to age five. And I'm wondering if a lot of families will kind of reassess after kindergarten. But yeah, the childcare thing right now, it it's, I imagine it's forcing families to to maybe kind of take some of these steps where it's like, hey, I got to adjust my hours. I got to do, I got to change what I'm doing professionally because childcare is just so unbelievably expensive and tricky. And so in my mind, this all lines up nicely. I'm like, okay, from this hour to this hour, I do this. But I, I just know, um, and that was one of the things that made this last year so tricky is just when the curveballs happen. And you know, there's a change in schedule because the daycare had some change or because she has a runny nose and then we got to do this. That's, that's the, on those days I'm imagining. And and the other, the other thing I'm slightly nervous about too, is I know that the, the type of work that I want to get back into, which is writing and editing, that type of stuff I'm pretty good about being able to sit down and just produce, but there is an element of it that requires being <laughs> like feeling it, being being in the zone. And to be honest, like I know there's going to be mornings where it's like, all right, I have this narrow window to work. And um, for whatever reason, I'm not feeling it this moment, but shoot, I have to just do three hours of work right now. I have to. So the U.S. is the only industrialized country without a federal paid leave policy. In Sweden, each parent is entitled to 240 days of paid parental leave. I asked Andrew what society at large can do to help stay-at-home parents. Oh, I've thought about this so much. Um, I just think as a as a country, we have not figured out how to uh, handle just this whole chapter of new parents' lives. I say that knowing that there are so many different ways to do this and other countries do do it better than we do in terms of childcare and paternal leave and maternal leave after a child is born or after people have adopted. And so, yeah, I just think that uh, step one is figure out a way to make childcare cheaper. I understand that it's one of these industries where if you just leave it up to you know, kind of market forces to solve it is very tricky because kids need so much attention. You can't, you can't just, um, you know, have one caretaker take care of 21 year olds, you know, and, um, and then, oh, it all pencils out, you know, in terms of the economics of it. So, so it, to me, it really does feel like something that we should not just simply leave up to market forces to solve. Um, we've tried that. It doesn't work. So whatever we need to do as a society to make it so that, a working family, you know, doesn't essentially make a mortgage payment each month 
for childcare, that's a great starting point. And whether that's subsidizing care, I, don't know, I, I, I can't think of any other way to get to that place other than having subsidized care and a government help step in. And I know that years ago, uh, I'm thinking of a trip that, that we took where we spent some time in Stockholm and, and just seeing parents there, you know, in the middle of the day, walking their kids around and spending time with their kids and seeing dads. I just know that there are other ways to handle, you know, how to kind of support families. I know um, Scandinavian countries often will give much more paternal leave or maternal leave and paternal leave when a child is born. Um, I think that would be really game changing if um, if parents could have a lot more time with kids right after they were born, especially with the dad, the stay at home dad kind of arrangement. There's it, it really does feel like because it's not the more common arrangement that it's not talked about as much. It's not I feel like you don't like see it referenced in pop culture as much. And I just think if there was a way to kind of normalize or maybe not even, like I said, not even referring to it as stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom, just like having a parent at home with a child, if there was a way that we as a society could see that as like a worthwhile investment, that is worth, you know, your energy. It is worth your time. I thought it was interesting in all these conversations I had with friends and family and coworkers leading up to leaving my position, I thought it was interesting how often that issue was kind of hinted at by people is this worth your time? Is this, you know, there were people that said, oh, you, you know, you, you, you will not regret this. You will. But, but then at some point in the conversation, people asking like, but do you think this will like fulfill you? You know, do you like, is this enough? I had so many moments of doubt before I officially gave my notice at the high school. That was a really challenging um, kind of couple month or month and a half period where, you know, I was losing sleep, I was thinking about it every night. I I think that the feeling, kind of wondering, is this the right move, was coming from this place of knowing how much my job was rewarding for me. It was incredibly taxing, but it was also so amazing, you know? And so I knew before I made that decision that all right, I'm stepping away from this thing that gives me a real sense of meaning and purpose. And I also am a realist and understand, you know, I'm working in a high school with four or five people in my department. Uh, it's not uh, as simple of a thing a couple years down the road if I want to get back into it to just say, I'm ready. <laughs> I want my, I want to come back. You know, I, I, you know, there just aren't a ton of positions. You know, there's a set number, a finite number of schools within 45 minute drive of here. So so I'm a realist about that. I guess I I didn't I didn't have a ton of hesitation or doubt about whether or not this would be the best thing for Simone, whether or not this would be the best thing for my family. That was the stuff that helped me navigate the other types of doubt. When I was worried about okay, what will this do for my career? You know, or or really to be honest, how will this potentially be a huge, uh, you know, roadblock or disruptor. I don't know what, what kind of negative <laughs> term you want to put there. When I was worried about that, what will this destroy my career? Will this mess with my professional path? I was always able to really quickly kind of answer that question with a one up by saying, well, 
that's you know, that that's actually not the top priority right now. Like, this will be the best thing for our family. This will be the best thing for Simone. I, again, I'm a month into it. I want. I only time will tell whether or not th that that thing that my brain kept telling me in those moments was actually right. I think. I think one theme that came up when I had these conversations with people was, and especially people who were older than me and their kids had already grown up. A lot of those conversations focused on how fleeting this time is. And that was really helpful hearing people say, well, you're making the right move because she will never be three again. She will never, you know, be in this stage again. And now you're really going to be in it. And yeah, at times you might be too in it and want some change. But, but the alternative for me was feeling harder and harder to stomach, which was, okay, I'm going to see my kid one hour, two hours a day. I'm going to miss most of what's happening in her life each day. And I'll let other people tell me about what she did that day. You know, I don't know. I just, that more and more felt like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, that, that's not enough. That's not, that's not um, something I'm like cool with. Between February 2020 and April 2021, almost 1.6 million men left the labor force, according to the National Women's Law Center. Nearly 2 million women left during the same time period. Nearly 9,000 daycares closed in 37 states between December 2019 and March 2021. We're, we're trying to be super transparent with Simone about things that she feels, things that we feel, topics that... I just don't remember talking with my folks about or about as much. You know, I, I think with her, Eric and I have already had conversations where we're like, no, no, we want to, we want that to be totally open. We can talk about that. We're, you know, talking with her about when we're feeling tense about something or we're feeling stressed about something, trying to kind of, you know, within reason, be transparent with her about that and not, and not simply saying, you know, hey, can you give me space? Can you can you go? You know, and I I think some of this is just like generational, like this this idea of kind of openness and trying to kind of um, have the child more a part of that. Maybe that's that's an area of difference. I know that you know it feels like just as a country, there's just this elevated consciousness now about different issues regarding race and gender and these things that when I was three and four, there was not an elevated consciousness in the country about some of these things. Um, and so that idea of, oh, well, that's not really a topic that we're going to broach with her. We don't have that attitude at all. I think as, as her brain develops and we continue to talk with her, our plan is to, you know, everything's on the table. We're going to talk about everything with her. And I think although both of Erica's upbringing and my upbringing, we definitely had some elements of that. I, you know, I know um, Eric and I both had sets of parents that were, you know, super engaged in what we were doing. And, but I, I still think there were on some of these kind of issues that the country is grappling with today, there just wasn't the type of conversation back then that I know we're going to have with Simone. Roughly a quarter of stay-at-home fathers, 23%, report that they are home mainly because they can't find a job. Nearly as many, 21%, say the main reason they are at home is to care for their home or family. This represents a fourfold increase from 1989, when only 5% of stay-at-home fathers said they were home primarily to care for family. There's all sorts of different issues that are, are definitely kind of beyond 
the reach of that influence, but there's tons of stuff that's within its reach, you know? And, and I think having worked in schools and, and, and worked with students in different countries and uh, lived in different countries at this point, I, that's been a common theme in talking to parents, talking to kids like, oh, oh yeah, this child is a direct result of the environment they've spent time in over the last 10 years, 15 years, whatever. So, so I think that that, that honestly kind of gave me comfort going into this too. Like, oh yeah, I've seen, I've seen kind of how, you know, what, when a kid is 16 or 17, what their life and their worldview and all these things look like when X, Y, and Z are in place or not in place at home. And so all of that, all of those experiences teaching have, have kind of, kind of urged me in this direction of like, no, no, take this seriously. Like this, this will have massive implications for her when she's a teenager, when she's an adult. Now that you've heard the interview, is there anything you'd like to add or elaborate on? Uh, I have to say there was a lot left on the cutting room floor. We did a, a long interview. I think, um, you know, we had, we had talked briefly about how we're in such a, a strange time because of the pandemic with so many different things shifting and changing. Uh, I'm really curious to see, you know, kind of what will be these lasting impacts that the pandemic has had on Mm -hmm. modern notions of fatherhood. You know, I feel like for sure it, it has um, made families make really big decisions that maybe they wouldn't have made had the pandemic not been such a force. Um, So, so yeah, I guess, you know, as I was kind of listening to, to my responses to your questions, um, I kept trying to kind of think like how, how much of this across the country, across the world, um, how much, uh, how many fathers are out there feeling like things have shifted as a result of these last couple of years and, mm-hmm. and their role has changed. And, um, yeah, I just wonder if a lot of fathers are thinking about that and feeling that I, I wonder too, you know, I know one of the questions you brought up, um, had to do with, okay, what, what would society need to change or alter in order for this uh, to be a, a situation that more families felt comfortable with, or like, you know, in terms of kind of how we are struggling as a society with kind of embracing this, what would we need to change? And I, I, when you asked that, my, my thought first went to, well, we need to kind of normalize this more. There needs to be more visible examples of this. And, um, and I just wonder, you know, which of these things will kind of be more potent or more powerful in, in changing people's perceptions? Do, do more fathers just need to kind of do this and then over time pop culture will catch up and start reflecting it more? Or, or does there need to be like more characters and shows and more stories about um, fathers that are in this position for fathers to feel emboldened to like, you know, I keep here I keep seeing mm-hmm. people do this. I keep hearing about this. Let me yeah. let me start seriously thinking about it. So I don't know, you know, kind of how or if that'll happen, but I I can't help but think, are there gonna be more stories that come out of this pandemic about mm-hmm. families that for whatever reason were forced into or kind of coaxed into the father taking on this role and then I'm assuming this will kind of trickle out into pop culture and we'll get stories in, in literature and film and stuff about this. But I, I feel like, you know, when, if I, if I try to kind of like think about movies or shows where 
um, this uh, this idea is brought up, it I'm I I can't off the top of my head think of like a show or a film where a a man is shown doing this in a way that is both like just a very kind of natural part of their identity and not being kind of like sensationalized or, you know, turned into some humor thing. I don't know. I, I guess like it would be really interesting to me to have more characters that just, this is a part of who they are. Right. When it's not a fish out of water. Yeah. And then, and I almost have, I mean, I, I taught English, taught literature for, for um, over a decade. And part of me just feels like I love plots where like something is, kind of in the background it's not the thing that defines the whole character but it's just this extra layer to them and the plot can focus on something else but they have this quality to their identity Mm -hmm. i'm waiting for more characters like that i want to see more characters that yeah they're a stay-at-home dad but then the story is about this other thing and they just happen to be a stay-at-home dad you know maybe not everybody feels this way but i know i and i think my friends feel like this this is kind of an exciting time to be a dad. You know, it yeah, feels like yeah. I, I feel that these changes are like really liberating and exciting. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, these kind of more traditional ideas of fatherhood that I grew up with, that my dad grew up with, that my grandfather grew up with, that to me feels more oppressive. And, and so I don't know you know, if this will be a theme that comes up in other interviews, just that like, it's, it feels like it's shifting. It's being more, you know, this notion of what it means to be a father, it, it includes more things now. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And, and it just feels like. Well, the world seems to be a little more inclusive in a lot of ways. Yeah. And maybe inclusive is the, is the right adjective for it. You know, it literally is including more experiences now and more, yeah, more expectations, but on fathers, but I also feel like there's more room to, um, have fatherhood really reflect so many, so many things that are unique to one's family and interest. And I don't need to stay in this real narrow range of, well, your mother takes care of that. And I do this. And, and yeah, there's some things that, that we have our kind of divisions Mm. with and, you know, Erica will help with this and I'll help with this. But there really is a lot less of that type of talk in our family and in my friends' families. And it feels like in society, like, no, there aren't certain things that just the dad mm-hmm. does. That, mm-hmm. That's really changing, which I love. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if, if um, like I said, I assume that'll probably come up on other yeah. episodes mm. because I, th- I think a lot of fathers are noticing this and feeling this maybe maybe not everybody feels like it's liberating i don't know if some fathers feel like you know uh, this feels more uncertain trying to navigate such uh, a role that can take on so many different things and and maybe it was just more clear-cut you know and easier to navigate mm-hmm. but but i think that that probably came or definitely came at a cost, you know, that, that ease of, Oh, I, you know, 50, hundred years ago, I knew exactly what I had to do is this set range of things. Mm-hmm. Well then someone else had to pick up lots of other things, you know, yeah. so that there could be that sort of like yes. limited involvement in the kid's life, right. right Mainly right. The, the partner the mother. Right. So, so yeah, it, it, um, I think, I think it's, you know, I've already had conversations with Simone where she'll cry about something and then I'm able to, in that moment and trying to comfort her, 
say, well, I cry too. And, yeah. and, and, you know, she, just today we were out on the river trail. She's face planted on her scooter, mm. really hard fall, you know, and, um, tore up her knee and was crying. And I was able to talk with her about, well, I fall too sometimes and I cry mm. too. And, and I, I know that feels like kind of a small um, moment or a small thing to say to your kid, but I don't know if 50 years ago dads felt so comfortable saying, yeah, I cry. And so things like that I'm thankful for, you know, in modern times that I'm able to say that I'm able to talk with her about that. Well, I want to thank you, Andrew, for joining me in the studio today. And I hope I can have permission to check back with you in the future to uh, see how things are coming along. Sure thing. It, it's totally. going to be a fun ride for sure. And, Thank you. Thank uh, yeah, you. Yeah, it'll be fun. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's program. Our music was composed by C.C. Blanca. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Father Figures. Bye.